Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, audio recordings obtained by the CBC reveal details of a campaign to attack Maxime Bernier. So I want the hatred you have for Maxime Bernier to wash over you as a purifying force. There's nobody in the country doing what we're doing to Max Bernier. Will Christia Freeland be in Washington today to talk about free trade? It just makes sense for her to carry this on to see if they can finalize it. And there are some key areas uh, that have turned up subsequent to the initial uh, agreement that was made. And a tentative deal is reached to settle the CN rail strike. CN and the Teamsters have come to an agreement. They have worked very, very hard at these negotiations and we're grateful for their hard work. It's Wednesday, November 27th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. Let's start with some breaking news this morning. The Globe and Mail is reporting that Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will be in Washington today to negotiate a possible addendum to the free trade agreement between the North American countries to try to get this across the finish line through U.S. Congress. Uh, and this is according to Mexican government sources. And there, obviously, this is interesting on its, uh, on its own merits because uh, the Canadian government has been pushing for a long time to get this trade deal ratified by U.S. Congress. But it's also an example of what we learned last week, that Christia Freeland, despite no longer being the foreign affairs minister, still has oversight of uh, the the Canada-U.S. relationship and still has a hand in finishing the negotiations around this trade deal. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, this has been going on for a couple of years. Uh, really, the, you know, the roots in the election of Donald Trump and his uh, promises to tear up the NAFTA, and et cetera. So, uh, and Freeland has been on the file literally since day one in different portfolio titles, shall we say. Uh, so it just makes sense for her to carry this on to see if they could finalize it. And there are some key areas uh, that have turned up subsequent to the initial, uh, the initial uh, agreement that was made. Um, so these these new issues, uh, you know, labor standards in Mexico and, and things like that, are back on the table. It sounds like uh, in order to get the deal through Congress, where there are a lot of skeptics. So um, it makes sense to me that Freeland would be doing this uh, because she knows the file inside and out. Yeah. And uh, and perhaps in some ways she's uh, at least for the time being the minister of everything and <laughs> whatever wherever yeah. there's a fire to be put out she's the one with the hose I guess I think so and you know uh, the the prime minister himself has burned off a lot of his political capital that he enjoyed when he was elected in 2015 and you know the cabinet doesn't have a lot of superstars. And I think uh, Christia Freeland is the the reliable lieutenant who can go into just about any situation, not get too emotional about it and worked up and, and try to work uh, things until they're sorted out. So she's the, the calm voice and the uh, reliable envoy for uh, Trudeau on a whole bunch of files now. All right, let's turn to what we learned yesterday, the release of audio recordings by the CBC that reveal more details of the campaign to attack Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada. This involves Warren Kinsella and his company, uh, which it appears was behind these attacks. Kinsella is not speaking about these new recordings, but 
Uh, where does this leave us on on who was behind this, who was orchestrating it, and what the objectives were? Well, it certainly appears to tie the Conservative Party, uh, you know, top people to this Kinsella business. I mean, uh, you know, there's a couple of interesting things about this. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a PR firm was hired to help out during an election campaign on a on an unusual you know, basis like this, but it says something about the temper of our times politically that they wanted especially to dig up really dirty stuff on Bernier, like whether he was a homophobe or a racist or a white supremacist. The Shears people wanted this information on Bernier, and Bernier, you know, had left some doubt about some of these questions out there. And, uh, and you know, it says something about how seriously the Conservatives were taking Bernier and the People's Party, uh, that they wanted to go to all these efforts. Now it's blown up in their faces in a spectacular way. And if you have uh, Kinsella referring to top people in Shear's office wanting results from this, it does sound uh, like that, that Shear's people are tied directly to this really quite dirty campaign. So uh, it's yet another problem for Andrew Shear, and it's, and it's quite, I would think, quite embarrassing for the Conservative Party that is still licking its wounds from the election. Yeah, there are some people, I suppose, who would say, though, this is all uh, part of politics, right? That all's fair when it comes to elections. Um, uh, do you think Canadians will look at this and see it as being on the other side of a line? Uh, yeah, I do. And you know what? All's fair in elections. I think people are getting really fed up with that. I certainly am. I don't think everything should be fair in an election. I think there should be rules and there should be standards and there should be ethical values that are uh, Uh, exemplified by all parties. I mean, you're going to have fringe parties and and nutty parties and whatnot, yeah. But, I mean, anyone who really wants to speak for the people of Canada, we should expect more from them than just being the lowest possible common denominator of ethics and values uh, just because it's effective. And I I really think uh, people are fed up with it. And a lot of it is because of the spillover from the sickening events that are going on every day in the United States. We see it on TV. I don't think Many Canadians want that type of politics uh, to take hold in Canada. Let's talk more about where Andrew Scheer finds himself now. There was more criticism of him yesterday from members of the party in Quebec. Uh, It feels like every day there's another story about uh, one group or another who are not happy with his leadership. Uh, Do you think he can survive even until April when the Conservative Convention takes place in Toronto? Well, yeah, he can because he's still the leader and he still has all the uh, the levers of, of that position, you know, at his disposal. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a, the knives are out plainly. Uh, it, there hardly a day goes by now that someone else doesn't emerge critical of Sheer. This week, as, as your listeners know, Sheer fired two of his top campaign people. Uh, you know, that reflects just as badly, I think, in some ways on Shear as it does on them. Uh, the Quebec caucus is virtually an open revolt, or, or the, the Quebec wing of the party. Um, and you get a big, powerful group like uh, like a provincial caucus, like uh, the Quebec uh, one. If you get that worked up and on a campaign, it's awfully hard to turn back, and, and it's going to make some noise. So I'm not sure. Even the evangelicals, uh, you know, Sheer got in a lot of trouble because he wouldn't be clear about where he stood on same-sex marriage, abortion, and other uh, subjects and issues like that. But the evangelicals are mad at him because he didn't go far enough 
to assert those types of issues. So uh, they're really coming at them from every direction. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how all of that plays out. So let's talk about the resolution of the CN rail strike. Uh, it's uh, It was interesting because the, the government was feeling increasing pressure, I'm sure, to step in and resolve it. Um, and there was even uh, there were even some calls for Parliament to be recalled earlier than the planned start date of next Thursday uh, in order to pass some type of legislation. Turns out they didn't need to do that. But did the government have a hand in this anyway? Well, I suspect that they were trying to keep tabs on it as best they could. I mean, this is good news for the economy. It's good news for the whole country. I mean, you can't have, um, you know, one of the most important transportation links in the country ground to a halt. And you can't be held hostage by a union or by a management of any one particular company or one industry. So, I mean, this is obviously good news. I'd be very surprised if the feds didn't have a plan B ready to enact within the next few days if there wasn't a deal. And I'd be extremely surprised if that wasn't conveyed to the two sides in the negotiations. I can't prove that, but it's certainly been the case in many, many similar situations over the years where the feds have said, look, we're holding the ultimate hammer on this. You guys resolve this or the hammer is coming down. So, um, you know, it's always better that the company and the union sort of sorted out on their own, but uh, I'm, I'm sure there was a looming possibility of legislation there the whole time. Yeah, and it, you never, as a government, want to intervene in these kinds of things. But, of course, this government has before in the Canada Post strike, and and uh, and it, it usually is, when a government passes back-to-work legislation, it usually is around something to do with transportation or communication, something that, that will cause economic stress and distress uh, that will, will cause some parts of the economy to grind to a halt, right? Well, these are essential services in Canada. It's a big country. You know, it's, uh, it's not easy to find an alternative way to get your grain from the middle of Saskatchewan to, uh, to uh, an export port. You know, it, it, it's just a tough, big country. And same with communications. I mean, the post office, uh, you know, you probably, if they go on strike, you don't get your Amazon packages quickly. But, uh, uh, you know, in the past years, when everyone did everything by mail, it, it often brought the government in to intervene. Um, but we've seen less and less and less of that over the years. Uh, but the government still has the power to do these things. And in a case like the CN situation, uh, they would have been justified, I think, to take action had this gone on any longer. All right, Dan, I appreciate your thoughts on all these topics today. Thank you for joining us. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for The Chronicle Herald. Miss Mona Fortier, Minister of Middle Class Prosperity and Associate Minister of Finance. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Robin Urbach argues, Justin Trudeau has turned the elusive middle class into an unnecessary ministry. Urbach writes... There is no universal way to measure the middle class in Canada. There are no geographic or ethnic or political divisions. Everyone thinks they understand what it means to be middle class, so this is a ministry for everyone. This is about signaling from the esteemed benches of the federal cabinet that this government is working especially for you, where you means everyone and working is to be expanded upon later. In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues... Jason Kenney's complaints are minor compared to climate change concerns. Wacom writes, 
In Ottawa, Western alienation is seen as the crisis du jour, and it has had the effect of diverting the minority Liberal government's attention away from what is still the most pressing threat facing Canada, climate change. The United Nations Environmental Program's latest report shows global carbon emissions are not declining. They are rising. Yet the federal government remains fixated on Western alienation. At iPolitics, Danielle Bélan argues cabinet appointments are the Prime Minister's way of showing love to Quebec. Bélan writes, The appointments of François-Philippe Champagne, Mark Miller, Jean-Yves Duclos, Pablo Rodriguez, and Mélanie Jolie will help in Quebec, but their actual performance will be crucial for the future of the Liberals in that province. Public gaffes could hurt the Liberals' odds against the bloc election. The challenge will be to avoid alienating voters from other parts of the country who might think Quebec already has a lot of influence in Ottawa. In the National Post, Rex Murphy argues an election is an audition for Prime Minister and Andrew Scheer failed. Murphy writes, A campaign highlights the performance of leaders, something of a preview of how they will deal with real challenges should they win. It is difficult to summon a single moment in the entire election campaign when Andrew Scheer took the reins, when a speech of his, a particular campaign rally, or some spontaneous response to the press gave him the moment. The reason it is so difficult to summon such a moment is there wasn't one. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Mayors and other municipal leaders from around the country are in Ottawa over the next three days, hoping to get the ear of newly elected MPs and party leaders. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, municipal leaders from over 100 communities across the country are getting together for three days in an event called Building Better Lives Together. Their focus is to present to new MPs, ministers and political staffers their vision and also their wish list of what they would like to see the new government doing during its first 100 days. Now this event is similar to an event held in the first days of the new Trudeau government back in 2015. One difference though is that this time around Parliament still isn't sitting. No doubt the event was organized a while ago, and this is the first time in anyone's memory when Parliament has not been uh, sitting in late November. Now, the municipal leaders will no doubt seek out political staffers and ministers who may be in town. They'll also hear from party leaders, including from NDP leader Jagmeet Singh this morning, and of course one of the key people who will address them and who they'll have a chance to meet this afternoon is the new infrastructure minister, Catherine McKenna who has control of that $181 billion federal budget for infrastructure over the coming years. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend an orientation session with the new cabinet in Gatineau, Quebec. And Governor-General Julie Payette visits Estonia. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, November 27th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.